Welcome to tonight's episode of Word Vomit. I'm Carter Hawkins. Did you know that the globalist media is controlling your mind with microwave radiation? More on that in 11. First up, we have our top guest for tonight. He's a man who knows how to work with technology and is the last bastion of defense against the horrible foreign menace shoving their foreign-made long-lasting cars down our throat. Uh, yes, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, sir? Well, thank you so much, Carter Hawkins, and welcome to the Hawk is what you would normally say, but I'm glad that you switched it up for me. My name is Gun Dan, and I'm welcoming myself to the show today. Up, up. Uh, welcome to the Hawk. You may continue. Oh, I beg your pardon. Welcome to the Hawk, of course. Uh, sponsoring is very important, especially in this time of uh, globalist conspiracies. And uh, I, I gotta say, I think you're right on the money with uh, people wanting cars that just last way too damn long. Uh, whatever happened to military Keynesianism and planned obsolescence, I say, let's get back to the good old days where... Uh, you can uh, you can you can buy one of these beautiful Gundans that I've got uh, on, on sale right here. I'm uh, loading it up in my tablet right now. You can see that this one's a submarine that also turns into a helicopter and your wife. Boosh! Yes. And with that, I also have to say thanks to our sponsors. Uh, that is the military industrial complex. Now with the power of a hawk. Gundan, any other any final thoughts? I've only got too many final thoughts, but it's, of course, better for my brand if I get the last word in edgewise. So why don't we flip over to our second uh, second, second guest? For, yep, yep. I'll be handling the guest managing. All right, next up for our guest, we have somehow booked on our program a racist caricature. What are you saying? This is, we'll, we'll bleep that out. Well, I, I cannot believe you managed to book... Uh, Extremely interesting guest with some with a, a wide set of personality traits and uh, a lot of things to say. Uh, right alongside a racist caricature that only seems to have the one joke, and uh, apparently they're both on the same show. I can't believe it. Let's go to our sponsors. Greetings, America. I am Killface. Don't bother flicking your infernal remotes. I've taken over your airwaves. Now, I trust you're all comfy on your tacky sofas from rooms to go. Lots of nibbles close at hand. Well, tuck in. And why not smoke between gobbles? Yes, go for the gusto, America. Live like there's no tomorrow. Because as far as you squalid lot are concerned, there very much isn't. Behold! The, the point is clear, I think. It, we have <laughs> Killface, we have Old Spice. Yeah. The, one of these things is not like the other. And yet they both fit. And yet neither of them is like anything. Yeah, like this isn't a show in the sense that like... You watch it. Yeah, this is more of an experience that you like... <laughs> like, you know you know, in those... This should be in a time capsule, certainly. You know in like comics they have that big vat of chemicals that the villain falls into? Like this is a normal cartoon that fell into one of those. And the Joker came like, out and he was just like screaming obscenities and they like caught every fifth word like uh like in the jay and silent bob uh graphic novel where big main, jay uh, and Bi silent bob energy here <laughs> the, where, where their main uh, antagonist is somebody who had a micro penis and he fell into a vat of a uh, vat of chemicals um and then his head was shaped like a dick and he went by the villain named dickhead because again if you don't remember from earlier in the sentence it's a Jay and Silent Bob graphic novel i think i got it for free comic day i th i think you mean their major antagony Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Their major antagony, uh, which sounds like it could have been from Sheep in the Big City. Uh huh. <laughs> like a general, specific, private, public major antagony. That's right. Yeah, and there's a 
a never-ending stream of, of bizarre side characters like that in today's episode. Zane, can you ask me what episode we're doing? Ben. Your name is Ben. <laughs> My name is Ben. Hello. <laughs> My name is Zane. Welcome, welcome to the program. Yes, the, the Carton cast is making headlines, but not the good kind like you want. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> um, this is the Carton cast uh, where we review old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults. And today we are talking about a very unique specimen. Yeah, Frisky Dingo. So, so um, yeah, this is uh, another show by 7030 Productions, whom you are probably familiar with um, through C-Lab 2021, which we've talked about, you know, we, we've talked about before. And like C-Lab 2021 has like a lot of reverence for kind of nonsensical humor and a combination of fantastical atmosphere and mundane content a, a reverence um, for yeah. irreverence you might say i would say that i think i probably have said that on different episodes but um you are probably the the probably probably the part of this show that is most cogent to a modern audience of cartoon watchers is the fact that the team that produced this went on to create archer yeah yeah so adam, i think it's in its 28th season by now <laughs> adam reed and matt thompson yeah they they kind of went from this uh and and after 7030s shut down uh they created a new one floyd county productions and they made archer and to a lesser extent chosen um god i love chosen and but this work for today frisky dingo it ran from 2006 to 2008 on adult swim uh, I didn't know they made Chosen. That's great. Yeah. They also briefly tried to make a spinoff of this show called The Exticles, but it was not funded beyond two episodes. And uh, it, there's a good reason for that. It's a bad show. It, the Exticles? It did yeah. not capture the sauce. Yeah. Well, this is a very weird show that is is kind of understood as the, you know, the, the, the missing link between C-Lab and Archer. I think so. Where yeah. you have all of the ridiculous premise and like silly nonsense dialogue combined with a sort of broader plot that has a strange like consistency of detail, like things keep cycling and popping back up. It has a lot of um, it has some of the self-referential kind of qualities. Those uh, it's not quite a reoccurring joke so much as it is just a reference that people like. The, the, the comedy comes out of the fact that these these details are so mundane. Why do they keep popping up? Mm -hmm. Like, it's funny in and of itself. Like, this weird obsession with cat party uh, <laughs> as, like, a ringtone. Um, the, the, the mispronunciation of salmon versus salmon. Like, the fact that multiple characters mention it with no, like, connective tissue. Like... There, it's just two independent people mistaking something very, very simple in the same way. It's hard to call that a joke. Yeah. It, <laughs> but it's something that C-Lab did, and it's something that Archer did. Like, people, multiple people being like, God, what do you what do you keep in here? Buckles? With, like, the purse or whatever? Yeah. Like, they, there's no actual joke structure there well, that I can it's, really it's, dis discern. It's a remix of the typical joke structure trying to adapt it to a larger framework. So, like... You can have a normal cartoon. You can have, like, a character doing catchphrases. And what you're describing is kind of like a dispersed catchphrase where multiple people, for some reason, end up saying the same thing, and that's the joke? It really works on me, is the thing. Yeah, it's it's endearing. It's uh, it's almost like poetry, where the things they're saying doesn't matter as much as the way it sounds. 
Can I let's before we kind of dive into this? Um, I've got history with this show. Yeah, please. I don't know if you do. Well, I, I only heard you like when it was on. I heard you and and uh, David talking about it with kind of a weird reverence, just because there were there's so many out of context quotes that were funny, whether you knew the joke or not. Right. This has um one of the strengths of the show is an intensely comedic delivery. Mm-hmm. Which I think was something that was a blade that was honed over the course of C Lab twenty twenty one. Yeah, the, you know, the, the proper just, length of the awkward pause. Oh man, they're they're masters of the beat panel <laughs> um, on this, which I which I value mm-hmm. deeply as a as a fan of both comics and cartoons and panels. But I, I do have a lot of nostalgia for this show. I remember my first like iPod Shuffle or whatever. I had like a limited length to like store videos on there, Ooh. and I had. I think I I don't know how I got either of these um, because it was long going to go enough of that like that may have been a may as well have been a different lifetime, but um, I had the the motion comic adaptation of like the first uh, the 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 first like story segment of Watchmen, like the whole human bean juice kind of gig mm-hmm. um, that that was on there, and then I had the second season of Frisky Dingo, so. That being the only thing that was on there, I remember watching it a lot on, like, The Way to Swim Meets on the bus or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I had Firefly on my Zune. Oh, that was a smart one. Got your Zune in there? <laughs> Every, I love it whenever uh, media makes fun of the Zune because it makes me remember, like, I had a Zune and it was awesome. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, like, uh, it's like watching, um, anytime you kind of watch a show that is set in a bygone era. Like, BoJack Horseman does this a lot. Mm. You know, where it's like, it's the 90s, and I'm walking outside, uh, I'm walking outside with uh, with, with my Walkman. Um, <laughs> outside the know. Radio Shack on my way to the Blockbuster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, there's, a, there's a lot of humor in kind of referencing with sort of a, like, bittersweetness, mm-hmm. these, like, bygone eras of technology, these dead ends of technology, like 8-tracks and whatnot. Yeah. Or, like, the Sega Dreamcast. It's just, it's very, we're, we've healed from the Sega Dreamcast. We can now make fun of it. Yeah, very specific era. Mm-hmm. But it, but it hits really well. So what about the show made it uh, appeal to you during that age? It it hits a pretty specific area of humor that I wasn't privy to at the time. Like I think some more modern incarnations of cartoons that are aimed toward uh, surreal loving, um, surreal loving self referential humor kind of addicts that we get in our current kind of mainstream Adult Swim crowd. Mm. Rick and Morty is one of the big ones, I would say. Yeah, um, as well as as well as Archer. Um, you know, I. I this does nail that specific brand of humor, which is this blend of pop culture reference and absurdist humor that, like, is kind of, uh, it, it's very difficult to describe, um, because, like, this is, like, so niche. You know, this isn't for a broad audience. Mm-hmm. It It is for exactly the people who would enjoy it, and, it, like, I don't know, it's, um... I'm having a hard time describing it. Can yeah, you I mean, give this, me somewhere this is, to start. <laughs> you know, this is the part where uh, of time when Adult Swim had been around long enough where it was getting onto its next era of shows, and like it had learned the lessons of the first few waves, where not only did it understand what its audience wanted, by this point it had crafted the audience, uh, and yeah, so this like, is kind of a is... distillation of that, trying to expand into a proper like we can make a, like an overarching season plot now. 
with the same tools we use to make C-Lab, and, you know, the, the, these are the baby steps toward a mainstream appeal that Archer got, for example. Yeah, I would say that. Like, um, you can see in this show a lot of the kind of style of humor from things like C-Lab or um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yeah. This this kind of absurdism, this 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 lack of punchline sort of uh, sort of joke the acknowledgement that things don't make sense and that makes it all the funnier because we're familiar with the tropes of making sense and not every um, not every joke lands because adult swim and the shows no. that come out of it are sort of a primordial ooze where just evolution is on a rapid fire pace and you just you have to get through the things that don't work because what's coming out on the other end is gold yeah, so in Aqua Teen Hunger Force, there are episodes that are gold and episodes that are trash. I would never watch them. But you only ever how need much to watch the good ones. Well, that, those are the ones that you remember, Yeah, I guess, for sure. the point. Yeah, we had that issue um, with c But it is so experimental. Like, I, I remember there's episodes of Aqua Teen that are, like, entirely, um, you know, there's, there's a virus in Shake's brain, and, it, like, from, uh, and they do, like, this whole Rapunzel kind of skit with the with the germs who were falling in love for whatever reason. And that's the whole episode. Yeah. And I hated that episode, but they did do it. Yeah. They did try it. Um, and, you know, that leads, leads to things like the Broodwitch episode. <laughs> so, like, there's, there's, um, there's value in this experimentation, especially because, like, in the era of Aqua Teen, there wasn't a huge cost to a bad episode. Yeah. The people who were watching had to be fans of it you know like yep. they're like you could not be a passive view like it wasn't like a prime time slot where there's so much riding on a consistently good product right um the, the, the stakes are lower yeah and i think and, uh, yeah. this show is where you know the hit ratio starts to move up so c lab yes. you can have jokes that are really good next to jokes that are really bad or you can have like scenes that are really good next to scenes that are really bad this one is more uh, plot line and like I don't want to say character growth, but character alterations. Some that work really well, some that don't, and they're, you know, they're 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 enmeshed within each other. The um the relationship to Archer, I think, is worth pointing out because mm-hmm. this as a precursor to it, where they were kind of working a lot of the bugs out of the code. I think yeah. is a is a valid thing to bring up. In Archer, you have a much more consistent product. Office place setting, a little bit of spy fiction mixed in, a same lovable cast of quirky idiots. Yeah. Most of that is the same from here, but the way I like to pitch this show to people who are familiar with Archer is that it is, it is, it is, gen- like, worse structural integrity and it's less restrained. Yeah. So when you go from Frisky Dingo to Archer, it's kind of like getting out of your adolescence where. You know, you can maintain that snark or that cynicism or that confidence, and you're ditching sort of the more juvenile jokes that weren't really funny or felt like they were part of a bygone era, and your well, plots and, get and a bit you more are, cohesive. And you're also, uh, you you know where the line is yeah. also. Yeah, and, and you I think that, that was a big weakness. Better. That's a weakness of coming back to the show, if I can mm-hmm. be frank, and, yeah. uh, you know, kind of PC-minded about it for a little bit, which is that, like, there's a lot of, uh, lot of racial stereotypes and uh, and rape jokes in this show, yeah, uh, that do, do not age very well. And I think it's like valid to like remember that this was the era of Daniel Tosh and the like. <laughs> you know, stand-up comedy was almost synonymous with shock humor. Yeah, yeah, the extended mid two thousands, the extended Toshiverse. Yes, um, not the Toshiverse. Yeah, 
Um, but yeah, this is um. So like, I, I think that this is the awkward adolescence of like they were trying to figure out how edgy they could be without being. I don't know, not alienating even, but like if you go and look at Archer now, it is more restrained. Yeah, it is. It does have a feeling of we push the envelope like far enough to get a gasp and a laugh, but not far enough to do it twice in a row in the same direction. Yeah, yeah. This this was during an era when, you know, for this kind of humor, you know, you look at stuff like South Park or whatever, it was a lot more of that. Uh, the vestiges of the Gen X spirit where it's just like, I'm going to be shocking and resentful kind of for its own sake. And I think um, as, you know, the generations progressed and as people's sensibilities changed, that sort of, you know, lost appeal generally. Did you, uh, did you find going back to this show that uh, a lot of that stuff slid off you or was like kind of made you wince in, uh, it in made retrospect me wince. you know I, I didn't have the history with this show I, I had never seen it you know straight through i might have checked a clip here and there uh prior to this but this was my first real exposure to it and yeah it's like oh if they had taken a whack at this script now this is exactly where they would cut it yeah and i can yep. immediately think this is probably what they'd replace it with <laughs> Yeah, you'd have Archer in prison trying to do prison shenanigans. You wouldn't have those shenanigans being, you know, a, you know, prostitute for the Aryan Brotherhood. That's a step too far. Yeah, well, it's not necessarily a step too far, such as like, that's the easy joke that they knew they could get away with. And they probably would have tried harder now. I'm not certain, like, which of those motivations really, really shines through in that example. Like, whether it was trying not to offend sensibilities or whether it's that they were practiced enough comedians and writers at that point to be able to avoid that sort of juvenile humor because there is a lot of like really solid dialogue work and character writing in this show it's it's not consistent it still reads as very experimental but um it is there they have this skill to make jokes yeah yeah for sure even at this point like they don't have to be relying on any of that but i think it was just like an that was the era in which that was, like, and you know, there's some amount of it just being kind of like, there's also the era of like, comedians were generally like pretty anti-censorship uh, on the whole. Uh, why can't I, you know, why can't I say the N-word to... <laughs> why not indeed? Why why not, Why can't I do that to a crowd full of black people? And then like, only later did we like fully understand the, fully understand the, the, the you know, the... The importance of that. Well, that was, yeah. So, like, you, you know, you you think of it kind of as, um, you know, comedians are always kind of pushing against the, the social norms and the social mores. Mm-hmm. And the way that that sort of sensibility was framed at the time of, like, you know, 2006 to 2008, we're at the end of the Bush years. It had kind of been this conservative, uh, uh, you know, stranglehold on american politics for a long time yeah and so comedians love to watch conservatives clutch their pearls pushing up against that it's at the time probably seemed like yeah yeah make make mom wince make uh people like oh that's so improper they shouldn't do that and nowadays through our current modern lens is much more like you 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 lost focus on who your critiques were going against so for example in the season one, our two main characters, through a variety of hijinks, end up as uh, basically slaves in a sweatshop. Um, 
working cool. working for some sort of like uh I wanna say it's just Apple. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> mostly I mean listen, you be the judge. And like that's actually an interesting like development. Like, oh, this billionaire ends up on his own assembly lines and you get to like Yes. That could be a moment for honest reflection or critique. But they even a- do that later when he's living out of a cardboard box that his production company that his company used to manufacture and the guy like talking to him is like oh that's kind of ironic and he's like i'm, I'm pretty sure that's not what irony is no that's like the that's, exact definition yeah of that's irony. exactly irony but here's the thing those scenes also had uh them taking shots at like these very racist uh asian stereotypes or like people with severe drug problems and it's i'm it's I'm, unfocused <laughs> I'm yeah it's it's both punching up in a way that is like challenging power and also punching down in a way that's like scapegoating. Um, yeah, it, it was the easy joke. Yeah, yeah and I, I again don't know whether the motivation was make the easy joke or whether there was purpose behind it like the kind of purpose of we want to make fun of these things because nothing should be off the table kind of South Park energy. Um, And I I don't know which is which. I think at this point in their comedic craft, because, you know, we did see this is clearly a step forward from C-Lab, which was often just like, you know, uh, just like wacky and, uh, you know, unreserved for its own sake. I think this is much more like we're, we're combining this uncomfortable stereotype with this commentary so that you can't look away. And nowadays, you you know that you wouldn't get away with that, and so you would probably structure it differently. Maybe, you know, it's not too much to guess that uh, the uh, the guys behind it had also grown up a little bit mm-hmm. in this in this process. You know, they're being exposed to the the the, the swaying and, and zigging and zagging of pop culture and, and comedy, mm-hmm. um, and that it has certainly taken a big turn since the mid-thousands. So I don't think it's too much to say that, like, Maybe they also grew up a little bit and and recognized that the racist jokes weren't really as funny as as they as we once thought they were. Yeah, and I at least hope that that's the case. <laughs> I have a, like a lot of affection for these guys, and the fact that they put their name on something that has a lot of problematic humor doesn't make them unworthy in my eyes of watching. It just it's 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 a frustrating glimpse into the past. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely like of the time. I have to say, I'm I'm very torn on. <laughs> Whether or not to include a clip of some of the bad <laughs> dialogue from uh, I don't, from the show, I don't just to like get the point across, I don't think that it's probably not a good idea. So, like, there, there is a guy, there is an Asian person who says, "I'm going to teabag Chinatown." Is that enough to say? Did I get the point across with that example? I'm not even sure. Like, that's. <laughs> <laughs> It's like relatively mild compared to some of the other stuff. But, well, that, that that that's the best I could do. <laughs> you know, they they do a lot of slurs against people with uh, intellectual disabilities. They have a whole plot mm. line, which is just a flowers. Oh God, with fucking neural. Yeah, the, the the twin who is doing a flowers for Algernon thing, and it's like it, it's if you felt like you had to do that plot line, I understand why you made those choices. The choice to make that plot line is is completely unnecessary, though. Right, and it and it's it a lot less. A lot. Uh, it's a lot less structured and like capable than, for example, in Archer, where you have like a gay guy who is kind of a stereotype, but is also like wildly more capable than our main characters mm-hmm. and is not really treated poorly for the most part. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I, I remember in in the fifth episode of Archer, I think I used to watch a lot of it, so it just it, it's coming to mind easily. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the one where um, you know the uh, where, where where Archer has to pose as a gay guy in order to oh, entrap yeah, some uh, somebody from a from a different organization. Yeah, the honeypot to get the, the honeypot. Yeah, um, great episode, and it also all of the kind of anti-gay sentiment is coming from a real macho-headed, like, Johnny Bravo-esque knucklehead. You, you never question that the, the joke, joke is, is on him. him. Yeah. The joke is him. Yes, exactly. And this had less of that. It had some, like... So, um, so there's a really good example the, of this where it's yeah, current... Looking at it currently, it still works, but I can I can definitely see maybe it won't later, where Killface is running for president... And we'll get we'll get to <laughs> kill face in a minute. <laughs> yeah, this show is so good. Honestly, um, like, and we'll get it back into it. He, he's talking to his strategist, and they're trying to figure out how to get the black vote. And it's clear that he doesn't get it. <laughs> yes, he he only knows about black people from media and specifically like rap music and like whatever. And yeah, he calls them hooligans and thugs. I mean, like, this yeah. is very straight Off- up. Offers his, them, you know, grape soda and goes to the black uh, uh, church wearing, like, gang uh, insignias and such. It it evokes a lot of, you know, you know, uh, if they don't vote for Joe Biden, they ain't black. Oh, yeah. Or, or, like, you know, the super predators thing. Like, it just because they're, you know, definitely on the Democratic ticket does not mean that they have any business kind of appropriating black culture yeah yeah yeah. but and, but the reason that the joke works in this context is because it's very clear the joke is on kill face like yes oh this guy is like has no idea what's going on <laughs> right and but it's very hit or miss right like i think they're still kind of figuring out what Some is the, the appropriate treatment because yeah. like there's a different segment where xander cruz is like doing a quote-unquote community outreach center which like I, I honestly the joke in and of itself is is pretty funny where like his idea of community outreach is to find loose condoms that have been discarded boil them and then throw them back where he found them yeah just to kind of like, as I, I, I it's funny because like the, like the thought process doesn't even really work <laughs> but somebody who is working for him is clearly a strung out addict mm-hmm. and not favorably portrayed and not utilized for any kind of commentary so it's just kind of there to drag the property value down to really hammer home the point that oh he's fallen on hard times yeah yeah and also an addict is here shouting crazy stuff and then there's sometimes where they actually go so far that it is funny even though it's wildly offensive like when uh killface is running mate to kill who is uh voiced by killer mike God, Tuckwheel is great. Tuckwheel. It is a voice by Killer Mike. Voice by Killer Mike. <laughs> How did I not know that? Of Outcast do- and Bernie Sanders oh, fame. I was gonna say. So, um, and it has Tuckwheel like talking about his own uh, uh, like anti-Semitism and how he. <laughs> Uh, put out an album called The Holocaust, where he's like playing basketball and there's just a lot of Nazi there's imagery in there like, and you yeah. don't see anything wrong with this. And the, right, right. And like his uh, his publicist his is lawyer. like, <laughs> yeah, his lawyer is like, and you don't see anything wrong with this? Uh, uh, um, um, um. <laughs> Wait, aren't you Jewish? Uh, who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, that's an example where they made it work. They got it. <laughs> But they, it's they such a hard that, lot. You can't get it 100%. And, and, you know, this again, this was the experimental phase. They were working out the kinks. In Archer, it would become much more consistent, but it would also be more restrained. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't get kind of some of the laugh-out-loud moments of comedy 
that come with like that guy trying to like explain away the the you know Nazi imagery of the thing. Yeah. Um. In yeah, a way that like, kind of comes through funny here. Yeah. Like they wouldn't. Archer wouldn't touch that, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, yeah. Which is pr- probably for the best overall, but like it does lose a little bit of its teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, just to talk about a couple other aspects of the show before we kind of get into characters, you can the, the the plot construct of the show is that you have a super villain, quote unquote super villain, trying God, to destroy the world. <laughs> it's so hard to think of him as a super villain. I know it. Well, that's the part of the comedy comes. You from. forget him and the superhero, quote unquote superhero, trying to stop him. Yeah, but the content of it like it does just it's totally random and and apart from that but they use a lot of these kind of these they use a lot of trope language from both superhero and supervillain kind of conflict um and also from a lot of the sitcom formula stuff so for example there's um they, they 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 use a lot of tropes from like the sitcom formula like um the the notion of a cliffhanger where they're about to start the next episode, um, where it, it like leads into the next episode uh, saying, will she fall? Tune in next time to find out. And then it goes to like, next time. And then it just a shot of Killface saying, oh my God, she fell. <laughs> you know, and that, that's how the episode ends. Yeah. It's just cutting through the bullshit of the... Or like, um, like explicit calling out tropes as like, as woodenly as you can to really hammer home the point that these these plot constructs are ridiculous like come on Watley, these barrels full of toxic waste with ants in them are a dangerous combination <laughs> and just saying it multiple times through the same episode yeah yeah like it they very clearly understand the the framework of the sitcom and also the framework of the superhero supervillain kind of clash right and are not shy about taking shots at both and inhabiting both of them which definitely works on me yeah for sure uh the the central conceit like the way that they start off this whole series is there's this giant like flesh golem uh named Killface, who very good who has developed this construction called the annihilatrix which will hurtle the earth into the sun and his problem the the central problem that kicks off everything is he needs to advertise this. He needs to let people know about their impending doom. Why? Uh, unclear. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not explained. And here's the thing. Through the course of this series, it really doesn't seem like he wants to destroy the world at all. Like, he no, loves no. Earth. No, the, the, like, at the end of season one, it seems like that's going to happen. And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like it. It's he, like, he it's doesn't want like it a Dr. Evil. He's like, I just want, yeah. I'm just playing. <laughs> He's just a dog chasing cars, yeah. Um, and then, like, he's... So, he, that, that's that's the conceit behind his uh, his task. But uh, then we also have Xander Cruz, billionaire playboy tycoon thing, who is, like, Batman, but without either morals or brains. He's also just playing. Like, he's a billionaire right. who, who is unrestrained. He wants to be a superhero because he thinks it's cool. But he's he's very much just a child at heart. Right, so Killface wants to be a supervillain out of ego. Xander Cruz wants to be a superhero out of also ego. Like these are just two egomaniacs that are using the world as their stage. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's very clear because super like Killface 
does like the number one villain trope that no villain should do, which is just advertise their plans to the surrounding area. But he goes through it so hard that it's hard not to see like, oh, this is clearly, you know, 7030 productions are saying these tropes are absolutely insane. Why would Killface prioritize this over anything else? Like the yeah. point isn't the evil. The point is talking about how evil you are. Yes. And in the same way, Xander Cruz, what's like the one of the first things that he does is he changes all of his economy to creating action figures of himself. Mm -hmm. So it it like, again, the point is not super heroics. The point is the appearance of superheroism. Yeah, yeah. And the way that like the the typical superhero supervillain stories of revenge and payback and all that stuff is much more... um, kind of decentralized and unmotivated so like people will constantly pile up vendettas against each other and like plot things where like oh this person mutated into a crab and now they're angry against this thing or like you know ant baby meth nazi like just a lot of things happen to make people hate each other and then the ways that that uh that fallout occurs leads to the next set of plot beats it it's very uh it's very wacky what I really like about it is that they set up the tools to be able to contain that wackiness by just acknowledging that the plot does not matter. Yeah, yeah. We're going to follow around these people. We can do whatever we want to them. Kind of that C-Lab, like, they can never die. Um, right. Well, or, like, <laughs> they just they give themselves unlimited retcons. Yes. Like, um, the whole thing with Neural um, is that Xander Cruz has a twin brother. Uh, it kind of doesn't contribute much. And then they kill him off because it's too complicated to have him continue being in the show. Like, explicitly stated, yes. that's the reason mm-hmm. for killing him off. Almost as though the show creators recognized it after introducing him that he didn't add anything and just left it in. Yeah. <laughs> like, almost as a meta commentary on, like, the creative process. <laughs> well, you know, we... It's kind of fascinating. Well, I got a clock out early. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a little fascinating. A little too much 70, not enough 30, you know what I mean? I don't. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so like, I actually, the only thing I wrote for plot is that it's incidental. Like, it's, uh, the show doesn't run on plot yeah. in the same way that C-Lab didn't. Like, uh, you can have an yeah. episode where super villain, superhero antics pile up, and through the course of it, somebody gets injured. The next episode, you're at the emergency room. It's not about, like, oh, this person's going to be out of action and we need to survive without them. It's like... The supervillain is behind on his health insurance, and now we got to go through some like paperwork, and we got to figure yes. this. We got to figure this. He's got to threaten some people. We've got to, you know, like hogtie a, a doctor into providing medical care. Every new, like every plot beat is to get us from one place to another, so we can tell a different set of jokes. Yeah, yeah. The roadblocks which is are not a, obviously arbitrary in their construction. That is not a bad way to do things. It works out. They they know that their strength is in the writing and the absurdity, and that's where they keep the focus. So, like, there's an episode where uh, Killface needs a lot of money. Xander Cruz <laughs> wants Killface as a supervillain. So they all go to Las Vegas, which, like, for, for, for some sort of, like, uh, they're, they're doing, like, some sort of sting operation where they're going to give him a bunch of money mm-hmm. in order to, like, get... It's, like, the plan makes no sense, and they even call it out as making no sense. But, like, everyone just sort of simultaneously agrees, let's go to Las Vegas this episode. And have a contest, like have a have a science fair project. Yeah. Um, and then it just you know classic kind of um, it it has that uh that 
that that not catharsis that mm-hmm. uh that sort of anti humor sort of lack of payoff where it doesn't actually reach a climax it's just like they abandon the plan because they like the invention of the amp ant farm keyboard so much that's right <laughs> they're just like you know what screw it like let's just give the award to this guy and just leave it does seem like a lot of the like specific plot beats are like mad libs or improv in but then mm-hmm. they're in the back half of each season there's a lot of attention to consistency like they will have a lot of callbacks of things that happened earlier um where uh you know, a random detail will come back. So, like, the ant keyboard. Now there's ants. Well, those ants got into toxic waste, and then uh, uh, Xander Cruz's girlfriend reporter fell into them and became Antagony with an alter ego of evil ant queen. The ant <laughs> baby that she has becomes the main villain of the second half of the second season. Like, they all tie into each other. It feels not quite like a Seinfeld plot, but, like, there there is something to be said for plotline convergence in this show that has done... I thought very well. It it feels and it's because nobody like, has anything better to do, so you can it just feels like bring like a bad them soap wherever opera you need. With like evil twins and like long lost relatives and amnesia and stuff, like it it feels like a bad soap opera uh-huh. at times. Yes, but like mixed in with this super villain superhero fracas that allows for super an- intelligent ant queen. Yeah, yeah, it's like the part in the soap opera where it's like, oh, she got pregnant from the devil, but that's where this starts. Like, it's... but the devil is also the robot clone of the main boyfriend. Yes, I understand. Yeah, you get it. Yeah, um, yeah. It, so, like, when we say this is a less restrained version of Archer, that's that's what we're talking about. Is that the guardrails are guardrails are off? Archer has this plot structure of end of the episode. We're going back to the office, back to basics, kind of area. Yeah. And and granted, they changed that up over a couple times in the series when they realized they couldn't use the word ISIS anymore, so they. <laughs> you know, left, but they kind of keep the core framework the same. They have, okay, this is our new office place structure. Let's see what we can do here. Um, but, but it's, it's not nearly as unrestrained as this. Like it's, um, if, if Archer's plot is kind of a branching out from a nexus, like they've got a home base and Mm -hmm. they branch out from there, then Frisky Dango's plot structure is a snake where they, you know, kind of there it's connect the dots. You're going from one point to the next, Neither, like, you never look more than one step in, in reverse. Yeah, or like a train we're, that's we're going following off the, the momentum. Rails. We're following the momentum of whatever we happen to be doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have the we, we don't have any need to get back to the same point at any point. Like, there's there's no need for a, a competent resolution. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we, we, we talked a lot about, like, vagaries, so we should probably move on. Yeah. Um. Characters? Yeah, so uh, Adam Reed, one of the co-creators, voices both of the main characters, Killface and Xander Cruz, and I think most of our discussion will be on these two. The rest are more like vehicles for dialogue and crisscrossing plot lines than fully fleshed out individuals. Yeah, so if... Like, they have have arcs, but it's not really... It's just moving around who has the vendetta. Yeah, it's... You know, we had this in C-Lab, right, where, like, everyone was kind of... The extra. You had <laughs> Captain Murphy. He was kind of the main cuckoo lander. You had Dr. Quinn, who was kind of the, the straight man. And then everybody else was just sort of this wash of s- extra personality. Miscellaneous through... idiot. Yeah, miscellaneous weirdo, I guess would be a better way to put it. Sure. But, um, 
but and, and you also get that to some degree in Archer. You have Archer and Lana and and Mother, and they've got very well defined roles, and you know, take a lot of uh, take a lot of the spotlight in the plot. And then you've got Pam and Cheryl and and Krieger, and they don't really matter. They're just there to kind of fill to to suck up the to suck up the atmosphere. Yeah, they're there for jokes. They can have a plot arc, but really, it's in service. It's of incidental. This, it, it's in service of the the main focus. Exactly. But yeah, Killface and Xander Cruz are definitely the the focal point for us. I, what did you think of Killface? Killface, man, what a striking image. So he's this like giant His model is amazing. Giant albino G.I. Joe doll, kinda like with the muscles and no dick. Um, and talons. And he's talons. Got foot talons. It's so big, so buff, but like and like a skull head almost. Um definitely very big supervillain. But well, he's that, also that's on the face of it. That's the face of it. But he's like trying to be a good dad, but he's kind of old fashioned. He speaks in this very like he's trying to be genteel, like new money kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very like, um, I guess I guess British or like uh, it, it it's it's very like Ivory Towers kind of speech. It's very Oxford, right? Yeah, like he he in the first episode he like quotes Ozymandias and he was like, it was it. Do you think it was too much to bring in the Shelley? And they're like, who's Shelley? Ozymandias <laughs> <laughs> just felt right, you know. Uh huh. Did it? Oh God! Why? You don't think it's copyright? What? The Shelley? Who? Ozymandias, the poem by Shelley. Who? That that receptionist chick? No, it depends when she wrote she it. She has balls out there. Shelley was a man, you philistine. It's fine. Jesus Christ! You philistines. <laughs> you philistine. Yeah, he edited just saying bloody all the time. Like I, I got a lot of Oxford vibes. This is something yeah, I, I actually British. kind of wanted to bring this up right away. Sure. Um, is that Killface and Xander Cruz kind of both embody this different kind of elitism? Where, you know, it's especially, uh, it's especially uh, cognizant in today's political climate. But like, there is a lot of re- regret and like, uh, un- there, there's a lot of like unfortunate opinions uh, associated with kind of liberals and Democrats in general with like this this liberal elite. And I feel like he kind of evokes a lot of that. This sort of I am better than you uh, kind of kind of attitude toward everything. They, they they both have this power that has not been worked for. We don't know what led to Killface having all this power, at least until the end of the, you know, the very end of the show. Well, he's extremely strong and cannot be killed. He's an immortal. But he also had $20 billion to make an Annihilatrix um, yeah. <laughs> at some point. <clears throat> but, but yeah, so they're, they're an unrestrained he, power. The world is their play box. Yeah, he and he doesn't really recognize... You know the the needs or desires of other people. You know he has an indentured servant, and he calls her that, um, and doesn't think much in, uh, of it. And yeah, he has no conception of how other people live. It's yeah, all just are, like, how the, do I get are, what I want? These are pillars of the show with that lack empathy, but have power. Yeah, and he's always thinking, how do I get what he wants? And yes, it, he does seem more personable than say Xander Cruz because he'll be. You know, very, very sarcastic and sort of high-minded and and haughty. Whereas Xander Cruz will be like, will be um. Oh, what's the word? Just, I mean, a a selfish narcissist, like a man-child. Yeah, but what's the word for that when it's like gross or like uh, uh, like a like a like a like an egotistical narcissist man-child? No, no. (laughs) It's. uh, Are you sure? God, it starts with a D. This is gonna bother me debauchery debaucherous 
Yeah, he he's he's more of a like a debaucherous or a um, more more of a low class mindset kind of uh, disruptor. Yeah, I I agree. I think that the biggest distinction I would make is uh, that Killface has idea. He he wants the whole world to kind of be the way that he like he wants to change the world in accordance to his ideals and he doesn't accept anybody else's opinion on it Mm -hmm. and xander cruz kind of wants the world to conform to what he he wants the world to give him what he is owed like one of them is acting outwardly from himself and the other one is outward acting inwardly toward himself killface understands the pursuit of power and he works toward that xander cruz can't imagine not having power um, and is just enjoying the fruits of it. Yeah, it's something like that. I'm, I, you know, there's smarter people who could probably dissect this even further. I think the fact that they eventually go into, you know, the Democratic and Republican candidate for president <laughs> is is telling. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, this kind of like my ideals are correct, and I'm going to enforce them on everyone. Versus, I don't care about anyone else. What can I do to how can I use this to benefit myself? I, I don't doubt that you could delve into their psychology and try to tease apart why they are the way they are, but it doesn't quite matter. It's just these are how the characters are going to behave. Zane, if no one else is going to... We, we have to do... Like, we got to do that groundwork. That's that's what our show is for, right? Um, <laughs> oh, yes. If our show <laughs> no, can no, be said I, I don't to, need to for go, something. I don't need to go, go further into it. I do like the fact that he doesn't seem to... Uh, Killface doesn't seem to want to take over the world out of any kind of... He doesn't want to destroy the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of any, like, sort of proprietary, like, this is what alien invaders do. Like, it feels like a day job to him. Like, he's, he's sort of it's- giving lip service to it. It's kind of like, like he how would wash it, out of Invader Boot Camp. He's no Invader Zim. Yeah, well, well, that's the thing. His it's kind of like in Invader him. Zim, except Invader Zim is trying to rule the world. He's he's goal driven. He's just incompetent. Whereas Killface is like, I can absolutely do this, but I want to do it. Like I want to be cool. I want to be renowned. I want to be like the pharaohs with their big, you know, pyramids embodying how great they were. You know, otherwise it's just a job. You know. Uh, I, I, do, I don't even know if it's that because like we get a little snippet into his character in the in the second season where we realize that he was tasked to destroy this planet by his mother because there's mm-hmm. like some weird dynasty going on and we never get more of that because this show briefly got canceled after the second season. But I think it does reflect on his on his character that like he's doing it out of a sense of obligation and not out of any sort of desire to destroy the world. Yeah, he's putting on airs almost. He's like trying to keep up with the with the Joneses. Um, right, or, or and like, that contextualizes all of his fascination with pop culture. He doesn't actually like. He loves Earth. Yeah, he loves human culture. He's way into it. He, you know, he 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 has really strong opinions on how talk shows should be. <laughs> <laughs> like o- Ozymandias would never concern himself with things of that nature. Yeah, he he is definitely trying to control things, and I think he's like, also trying to set an Dark example. Imagine Side going onto a talk show and complaining about the length of the commercials. <laughs> That's why this show is funny. <laughs> yeah. I think he's also trying to set an example for his son. Like, yes, any any, any idiot could destroy the world if he's given, a, a, you know, the technology to do so. But surely we can do better. You, you must rule with an iron fist, but you must, you know, pinky out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, 
Yeah, very Tyrion Lannister. Um, um, I do think it's interesting yeah. that both Killface and Xander Cruz, we, we get to see both of them at the highs and the lows of their power dynamic, and their personalities don't change. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah, they both, they're both in the gutter, at well, like the literal sewers at one point, and they behave with each other the exact same way. Xander Cruz is still extremely juvenile and self-serving, and... Uh, Killface is very haughty and, uh, you know, idealistic and wants to make the world in his own image and wants mm-hmm. everyone to follow his uh, his marching orders. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, uh, much any, pretty much any character in this show who gains power uh, just by circumstance, something terrible is going to happen. I almost wonder if, like, a commentary on just unearned power in general. Like, definitely with Xander Cruz, we get um, what does inheritance do to a man... If they're not Batman, like what if Batman didn't have Alfred is kind of the way I'm seeing Xander Cruz. Yeah, I I, I want to kind of isolate the point of this because like people find sure. and discard rocket launchers in this show constantly. <laughs> the ballad of the robot pants. <laughs> ballad of robot pants. There is a pair of robot pants in this show that transfers from owner to owner. They find it, they sell it, they whatever. It's always like a harbinger of doom. Like, it enables them to do something they wouldn't otherwise with disastrous results. And it's just like, I I do think there is something here to this idea of unearned power. This is what brings Mm. their downfall. That's really cool, actually. I like that. Um, Yeah, because what we have in the character of Xander Cruz is, you know, barely, you know, barely veiled allusion to Batman. His parents were murdered by criminals. Mm Mm-hmm. Who are dead because they were murdered, Stan, damn you. (laughs) Um, And he's in charge of a company, and he's running it right into the ground. And he also is a superhero for some reason that is unclear. He Uh, wanted to. Yeah, you wanted to. (laughs) I've seen that too. (laughs) That's not good. (laughs) That's that's bad. Um, We're getting a good amount of man-child in him, which I think is, you know, a vital point of any kind of inheritance kind of trust fund kid without, like, sufficient... um, sufficient role models in his life to kind of show him how to treat people with empathy and, and recognize that he's not the only person in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he treats women as he treats objects as women, man. You know, he, um, his, his, he's got like this relationship with sex that is all both like, you know, notches on the bedpost, mm-hmm. right. Or notches on the belt. Like, uh, he treats them as just, he, he treats sex as like all lust and juvenile pranksmanship. There's no actual other person at the end of yeah. that interaction. Um, and his relationship with Grace Ryan is one where he treats the woman like garbage because he can and is never told not to. Yeah. It's, it's, that's a facet of it. That's a facet of the unrestrained power. Yeah, like in one of the early episodes, you know, he, he just decides on a whim like, ooh, there's a hooker. Let's do this. And like... She, Grace Ryan, is waiting on a date for him, and he, he's having sex with the hooker. He's like, man, I should not be doing this. <laughs> like, not with a regretful sound in his voice. He's just, like, acknowledging, uh, this would probably have consequences for other people. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm not sure. Do you think, I'm not actually sure of this. I, I kind of want to look this up just for my own personal betterment. I feel like hooker is not, like, a good term to use. I feel like prostitute oh, is, that, is, like, uh... the more... Is is like the is the less kind of loaded I term? I was not for aware. It. I mean, like the, the 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 much less loaded term would be sex worker, right? Because that's what they are, um, and they should be treated as you know a person who does work and not as an object of exploitation. But um, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't mean anything by it. No, no, I, I know you didn't. I'm I'm again. I want to do this for my own personal betterment. 
Do you think it's bad that we're both simultaneously Googling prostitutes? Uh, <laughs> uh, NSA? <laughs> Don't get any ideas. We just Listen, we just run a podcast. We're just concerned citizens. Um, my, my guess is that sex worker is better. That seems than, correct. Than I get others. Certainly ho is bad. Yeah. Uh, I think, which I think is just a, is a, is a shortening of the word hooker. All right. Yeah. I'm going to have to look at this in more detail. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I learned something good. Good to know. Yeah. I, I mean, like I didn't actually know that it just, it seemed correct. Right. Um, I will say that the character's name is is Hooker in this. That's true. That is, that is true. Which, in you know, in absence of the greater cultural uh, uh, tragedy that that is, I've been is primed. A funny joke, <laughs> is is a funny joke in that just like her name is her job title. Like yeah. it's very man at arms from He Man. Like I am my job, and that's it mm-hmm. for the for the purposes of this show. Yeah, they don't treat sex workers very well in this show. They kind of don't treat uh, anybody well. But I mean specifically. Specifically, though. yeah. Like I mean, granted, they don't treat anyone well, but it definitely kind of smacks of that mid two thousands energy. Yeah. Um, um, which is I do want to talk about Xander Cruz. It, is it fair to say that he is a prototype for Archer? Yes, like a million is, percent. This is one to one. This is just Archer. Ah. No, because like not personality wise, but like clearly they were going for the same manic. thing. He's more manic and uh, he's more manic and spiteful than Archer. Yeah, yeah, definitely more he, of the. He's child. got a lot more of the man child, you know, narcissist, narcissist, like narcissistic personality kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But like, it's a different energy at the very least. Um, it is. It is not surprising that this is very similar to Archer. Though. Yeah, you're you're not supposed to empathize or care about his growth the way that you are for Archer. Um, but he does cut a very similar figure. <laughs> There's, God, like, so much of this show, like, it's not coming through yet. We haven't gotten to, like, specific lines of dialogue and specific circumstances. Because it probably doesn't sound that funny in the telling of it. But just, like, the, the content versus the context of what's going on is always pretty funny. Where, like, Stan, his manager, his ghoulish Rudy, Rudy Giuliani-esque oh, manager... Yeah. Um, has fucked up in some way and they all go back to Xander Cruz's headquarters and Stan is trying to tell him something and you see something splattering his face the entire time and then we zoom out and watch just Xander Cruz like just tossing absolutely fling, flinging yogurt into his face yeah. and it's like but sir don't you think bup up turn around I gotta do your back <laughs> <laughs> just like this I have a very specific set of like I've got a very specific set of objectives right now <laughs> and they're all to demean the people around me yeah like, and this is what he lives for and that that interaction you could see in like Archer and Woodhouse uh, maybe not to that degree but like that type of interaction again like the, yeah they 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 kind of worked out the kinks in that relationship to kind of what would be the best the, the most the, the funniest kind of articulation of it Mm-hmm. Um, I do think the Woodhouse Archer relationship is much better. I I also find the Stan, uh, you know, the world weary person who's just trying to run a company. Like he's the Quinn of this show, I'd say. Well, he's, or at least of Archer. He's or, also I mean, of that side of things. He's also clearly evil, but he's like old school corporate evil, so it doesn't yeah. have the same veneer of like callousness that uh, Xander does. Uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that is that is true. I wonder if there's maybe any commentary like, of like, you know, um, 
Ah, yeah, like, Z- that, Xander did end. not have a place in the decision to make that sweatshop in the first place. No, no, it was already there and ready to be used. Yeah. Um. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, do you, do you, which one of them do you like better? I mean, Killface is just really great to look at and interact in the world because people don't yeah, treat what? him the way you would treat a giant like alien menace. <laughs> No, when he's on the talk show, he just looks like any person who's being exploited for the sake of ratings. Yeah. Um, and he's, like, seven feet tall and gigantic and muscular and purely white skin and red eye. Like, he is an object of nightmare. I think he was designed to be as menacing-looking in this particular animation style as possible. Yes. And then make him very, very banal and bland well, he's, in, he's in, like, personality. He's impotent. He's trying to do things in the world and can't, and it's just a great juxtaposition. It's um, not merely that he's impotent, though, because impotent is just like Skeletor was impotent, but he was still, you know, he still commanded menace. He was feared and respected. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, it's it's different. It's a different like that's a that's a tragic comedy, the tragic comedy of the modern Skeletor, where he he wants to affect a lot of. He wants to affect a lot of menace, but just can't do it. This is a different blend where he looks menacing and has the capacity to be menacing, but it's just not where his priorities are. Yeah. Well, he would much rather be, like, you know, catching up on TV shows that he's missed. <laughs> or or it, just, like, his, his priorities are, like, pretty... I don't know. Like, he... I don't... He, he just wants to... I, I guess I can't get the um, the fascination with pop culture out of my head is like the biggest thing to me is like that he is so obsessed with cat party and like the the way he knows about talk shows and stuff and 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 all that is just uh, is very it's very funny juxtaposition to me. So the the model for Killface predates the personality because the original conceit of the show was to focus on the super team Whiskey Tango 6, and Killface, he would have been the main villain, but they wouldn't have focused on him as much, like he wouldn't be a main character. And then over time, they were just like, there's something to this guy. And then uh, they, yeah, had to change, very funny. they had to change the name of the show to Frisky Dingo for legal reasons. Right, there was a band. Yeah, whatever. Or something. Um, yeah, um, so um, other characters, I guess Simon is his son. He's yeah. got like this verbal tick, which I find kind of amusing in that sort of you always have an unintelligible kind of character that everyone understands implicitly but we can't understand them like the chewbacca yeah. of the group uh, he just speaks very quietly like if you if you listen in real close sometimes you can tell what he's saying but usually it's just context I well do... it's not even it's not even what he's you can't tell what he's what he's saying does not match how people are reacting to him <laughs> it's like two sound clips one of which is yeah, why why don't you try to live a day in my life? <laughs> but it's that that is not like, you know, he'll say that he'll like, Killface will be like, don't you like how I'm taking it to the, the 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 political commentator in this? Well, why don't you try to live a day in my life? Well, sure, man. Let's let's rap, buddy. Let's uh, what's on your mind? You know, it it doesn't actually relate See, to the I, sound clip that he's saying. I couldn't hear the words even that well. It was like... <laughs> One of them is more unintelligible than the other, but it's only two things. <laughs> uh, I do think he's an interesting facet in that he gives uh, Killface like some motivation to do things, quote-unquote, the right supervillain way. Um, also, like Simon, for all of his petulance as a child, is one of the characters who's not gaining power 
out of nothing. He's just he's just kind of living his life, and he ends up not hurting other people for it usually. Well, he's he's also like really fucked up because of uh, because of how his how his dad treats him and everything going on in his dad's life. Like this is a very Venture Brothers formula of mm-hmm. my parents are screwing me up and there's nothing I can really do about it. Yeah this this whole this whole thing could be like a Venture Brothers plot if they if they reworked a few of the plot lines. Yeah, uh, Red Death is almost exactly Killface's model from the from the neck up. Uh, so other characters. There's Taquil, who is just kind of like a generic rapper, but uh, in a like he's a he's a generic black rapper who you know has a suitably ethnic personality, shall we say? Yeah, I um, mean, the, the, none of these characters are particularly well fleshed out, but th- they they did manage to bring this joke pretty far. Yeah, and they 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 made him more competent than a general surrounding community, which I think is solid. Mm-hmm. Like. He actually comes out with like a education proposal for when Killface runs for president, and no one cares about it. So let, like, can we can we talk briefly educated. about Killface running for president? Sure. So, so the, the concept of you know we said the Annihilatrix uh, is going to shove the Earth into the sun. What actually happens is they turn on the Annihilatrix and it shoves the Earth slightly away from the sun, uh, curing global warming. Well, about a meter. He's from Holland. Yeah. Yeah, he's from Holland. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so Killface is like, I'm a hero. Of course I meant to do this. And then he gets the Democratic uh, nomination for president. And Tequil is his running mate. And it's obvious that, like, Uh, Again, he abandons the idea of destroying the world because he never actually wanted to do it in the first place. all ego. (laughs) Yeah, yep. What gets me the most screen time? But it's obvious, like, Killface doesn't know anything. Like, his response to everything is just, well, I I cured global warming, so more power and and accolades, please. And Tequil, like, for someone who was originally just, like, this very clear uh, uh, one-note stereotype, is like... You have to have a proposal for foreign policy and domestic and education and social Global welfare. Warming. Global warming. Yeah. Man, do you even know what these words mean? I know that I cured global warming. <laughs> yeah, it's very... It's, I, I, it, it made him seem like at least like competent in a field of incompetence. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, the security advisor in that uh, group, Wendell. <laughs> yeah. I... I do still like him, even though he's reprehensible and has a lot of that, like, you know, there's, like, a lot of that, like, rape humor, you know, yeah. uh, unfortunate, like, uh, you know, racism and, and Nazi ties that this that this show kind of traffics in. A lot of it's related to him. I still find his mannerisms very funny. Well, they're, like just, doing, they're Kill- just doing an MC Chris impression again. <laughs> it's just MC Chris <laughs> calling Killface Papa Bear. <laughs> And like he gets some of the funnier lines, like when they're in the duck hunt and uh, he's talking to Killface and he's and he's about to leave and he goes like, "But look at me, all right? Look at me, all right? You say frosty out here." <laughs> and then he just leaves, like it just like him being far stranger than the supervillain, seven foot tall, muscular Adonis who doesn't wear any clothes is just great. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of the characters have sort of this. Uh, uh... Behaving not like people, but as vehicles for jokes. The Exticles do a lot of this oh, as yeah. well. Where Yeah, let's talk about the Exticles. Yeah, so these are all voiced by Lucky Yates, uh, who would become Dr. Krieger in Archer. And, that, yes. And <laughs> it's just these um, guys in robot suits who work for Xander Cruz in his alter ego as uh, Awesome X. And the, Awesome X is a very good fake superhero name. 
in like a Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars kind of fake radio play kind of, this is superhero awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Ready to Captain save the day. Amazing. Captain Amazing, Captain Hammer, like all of these kind of fake superhero settings. And the Extacles are like his guys. Um, and they're just like the general henchmen kind of uh, characters. But because there's so many they're of like them and they don't have... henchmen slash stormtroopers. And they don't have set characteristics except for like the Russian guy. The uh, Russian guy and the, the way they... They give him a unique model is just have him walking around in boxer shorts because he doesn't have the robot pants. Yeah, he got he lost them. So these characters also add in a lot of that just weird, sometimes too far edgy humor because we don't need them to be characterized. We just need them to be vaguely sociopathic toward everyone vaguely else besides themselves. Sociopathic and like very. Um, they they do some of the kind of humor that is more related to just like, let's have an inane kind of a Seinfeld conversation right now, but we don't want any personalities involved to get in the way. Yeah. Like they'll be watching something on TV, TiVo or something like they'll they'll be watching awesome X. Mm -hmm. And one of them says, Oh man, look, he just shouted us out that we, we should have really recorded that, man. We should have gotten TiVo. Oh, now you want TiVo. Like, (laughs) just like this, these are stormtroopers in a flying fortress talking about like, how much they wish that they had installed TiVo beforehand. Yes, yeah, st- stormtroopers who are also just jobbers who like this is a job for them. They talk about like these are red versus blue. They're jobbers. yes, they're they talk about you know their mortgage and their wife, and it's like uh, where somebody's like wearing like a shirt, and they're like, man, that shirt's so old fashioned. What you gonna wear? You gonna take a time machine to the eighties to wear that at your prom date? And uh, and somebody's like, listen, it's fine. He doesn't need to have a nice collar. No, no, we need to fix this collar. Yeah, why don't I just fix this while I'm missing another recital? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very the, mundane lives. Just conversations. These faceless jobbers. The conversations that don't need context so they can really just like write whatever just they throw want. Throw them anywhere. Throw them anywhere, yeah. right. And honestly, they don't work that well on me anymore, but I appreciate like the, the break sometimes mm-hmm. from characters that I actually need to focus on who they are to just like oh these just idiots are going to talk for a minute and that'll be it'll be a bottle joke in this in this episode that doesn't really relate to anything for sure um i think that uh i think that we should get into what i think is the strongest aspect of this show which is the comedic timing yeah and like the and how the writing and the comedic timing like bolster each other because you can really tell that they hold to heart um the fact that comedy is timing, like that principle yes. really, really, really drives a lot of the, a lot of the humor relies on like beat panels or rapid fire punchlines that veer farther and farther from sanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's one line that just absolutely kills me in like the beat panel between like one side of it and another where Wendell, uh, one of Killface's minions in the second season where he's running for president, has to go get a, a campaign bus. Oh, and he's yeah. trying to sweet talk the, uh, the the salesman. And he's he's like, uh, it, this is also like a good uh, a good example of a cutaway joke where he's like talking to the documentarian who's like talk who's like uh, capturing all this. And he's and he's like, because uh, yeah, I'm, I, you, you, you gotta you gotta really finesse these guys because you have to act like you don't really want the want the bus like you don't really care and then it cuts to him saying without even asking i will pay any amount of money for this bus <laughs> yeah and the guy's like see you're a guy who knows what he wants i bet the ladies love that oh yeah old wendell has dragged the old pineapple through quite a number of ladies <laughs> <laughs> just beat panel as they just stare at each other <laughs> is that right <laughs> 
Um, yeah, th- it just lets you try to unpack the sentence and the sentiment and the delivery, and mm-hmm. just gives you nothing else to work with. Yeah, there's there's a lot of these with uh, with Killface because he lets his contempt out, um, and he just keeps on doing it in order to like it turns one joke into several jokes because you can tell everyone else is uncomfortable but he just keeps on leaning it so like um when he was uh when when he's campaigning and he's complaining about all of the like uh you know fundraiser events that he has to go to he's like oh oh my god this is my favorite oh the smell of those barbecues it's like should just put my nose in a saddle listen Mmm, whose saddle is this? That's Uncle Taints. Okay, How long's he been riding, Kix? just focus. Oh, pert near three days. Well, let's eat, you kn- buddy. You know how much that ad cost. <laughs> but the the funny thing is, every, <laughs> like, sentence of that... Dottie is trying <laughs> to get him back on Yeah, task. someone's trying to get a word in edgewise, and he pauses just long enough for them to try. <laughs> and to he start, just shuts yeah. him down. <laughs> They actually make that into their, like, you should put that that <laughs> clip in there, because that's an amazing delivery. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but they actually do, like, a joke on even that later, where Sin, like, puts too much of a dramatic pause, and then somebody, like, tries to jump in before she can finish. Like, oh, you forgot like, the name. <laughs> I was, I thought you just forgot. It's like, no, I was doing a dramatic pause. I don't think you realize how long you were pausing for. <laughs> like, you should get a tape. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's another one that's like um, the, the the kind of back and forth uh, sort of juxtaposition of like a conversation that just goes farther and farther away from sanity to like just really drive home the point of how silly a situation this is. Mm-hmm. There's um, one part where uh, Awesome X or Xander Cruz sustains an injury. Yeah. And like he's talking to a doctor. Um, uh, he got he got kicked from this uh, this robot named Hooper. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know. The doctor's like, uh, yeah. Well, that cracked your C3 and C4 vertebrae, so you ever see Hooper? Yeah, that robot with the big tits? No, but that sounds awesome. It is. I meant the Burt Reynolds movie where he's a hard-living stuntman. That sounds awesome. It is. Anyway, one more impact to the neck and you'll be paralyzed. My third greatest fear. Yeah, same basic plot as in the movie. God, that sounds awesome. It is. But... Who's going to stop Hooper? Well, it's already out on DVD. No, the robot with the big tits! Really sounds awesome. It is. Anyway. Yeah, and it just kind of goes back and forth of them both talking about Hoopers that are awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, but... And that, that kind of reminded me of the delivery of some of the back and forth uh, of, like, Archer. Mm-hmm. Of, like, where he, like, in the very first episode where he and, where Archer and Lana are, like, discussing... Um, their breakup, and he's like, I know, spoiler alert, I know how that ends, and it ends up with a bunch of my suits on fire. I wish you were wearing one of those. Who would want to wear an on-fire suit? Cosplay enthusiasts. <laughs> just oh, back and forth, over and over. Yes. No stopping. The dialogue we don't know how we got is to this incredible here. <laughs> dialogue is, is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, again, the beat panel, like, mm-hmm. we will see somebody vomit on a car 20 stories down, and then just like, there will be a beat panel as Killface just sort of grimaces to the camera. And then, like, five seconds later, we'll turn off his car alarm. It's like, oh, it's actually his car that got hit by that. <laughs> just, like, him, he's just very upset about it. <laughs> he's talking <laughs> about, uh, you know, curing global warming. He's like, and uh, I had to do it because uh, God was too busy. And then he, like, mimics <laughs> calling God. He's like, hello, God. Yeah. You, you think you can? think you can handle that? No. Click. <laughs> mm, it's a shame. Guess, guess God was too busy. 
I, I could go on and on about all the different aspects of dialogue, but just it's it's some, my, some, my favorite parts of the show are the we think we're like of the the setup execution of a lot of the dialogue moments. Just to give one more, yeah. Um, Xander Cruz is in prison on the wet on the um, Extacles like uh, facility because they don't realize that he's Awesome X, and he just says, "Well, good thing is." Don't see this getting any worse. And then Ronnie comes in, the Extical who has the Russian accent with no robot pants, because he's also imprisoned. And he he's like, oh, good, you have ass-wiping TP. And just, like, you see Xander Cruz be like, god damn it. Like, okay, didn't think it was going to get worse, and, and here we are. Just, like, the, the comedic timing, they got it down to, they got it down pat here. Mm-hmm. What you were talking about, the um, the whole who's been riding this saddle tirade, mm-hmm. there's a different element of the comedy that I want to focus on for a second, sure. which is the fact that we have a absolutely insane context, but the content is so mundane. <laughs> yes. Which is something that works on me so hard. So context, supervillain running for president. Content, he's complaining about doing a campaign like fundraiser because it means that he has to be at a barbecue. Right. Like this is a, again, seven foot down, seven foot tall Adonis, entirely white, muscular, <laughs> naked kind of kind of kind of character, and he's complaining about being at a barbecue. Mm-hmm. There's another moment where they're in the duck hunt kind of area. The content, the context of it, a supervillain, superhuman kind of thing, and a billionaire playboy superhero are doing a publicity stunt duck hunt and they get lost and the content is talking about the movie the edge yeah <laughs> and not knowing who plays who in it yeah they're like dying of thirst wandering through water like uh, <laughs> uh, brackish water it's 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 late at night they can barely see a thing and they're just arguing about the movie the edge and they're being hunted <laughs> and they're being hunted at the same time it's very good it this, is uh this is very good dialogue um there let's see here God, I don't know. I don't know what else to jump to because this show is all. It it just really hits you. <laughs> it's it's a wash, and that's kind of one of the weaknesses of the show is that like there isn't much. To, I don't think that there's much behind it that isn't just dialogue and and like like dialogue driven humor. Yes, like I, I don't think that there's a lot of character driven humor in it. I think you would take Xander Cruz out and put kind of anyone in his place, and most of the jokes that he says are still gonna kind of hit. Sure. Um, and the, the nature of the plot makes it kind of hard to follow. If you're not paying a lot of attention to it, you miss a lot of it. Especially because these are the deepest referential humor bits that I've kind of ever seen. The, the, to the point of making up their own universe memes, like the cat party, dog party, ringtone mm-hmm. thing, which I don't think it's actually a joke. Because <laughs> like, there's nothing that it, about it that's funny. It's just a ringtone that they decided was going to be a meme in universe. Yeah, and it, yeah. It's kind of like the mulatto butt meme in Archer. You familiar with that? Like no. the song that they make up for for the ringtone in Archer? Okay. Uh, black ass mama, white ass daddy, mulatto <laughs> butt, whatever that is. On its own is not actually a joke. It's right. just that they like the creators are very fixated on this made up ass. You remember how in the Weekenders we had all these kind of like off branding opportunities for this own universe's proprietary kind of uh terminology like instead of whatever superheroes we have they have like captain carnage or something yeah yeah and they'd be or like mad dog the uh the comedian or whatever i Mm -hmm. i I don't think these are the actual names of them but they had or tesla park they just had like all these franchises in universe that really made the the universe feel more whole yeah we get a lot of that here but specifically for 
jokes. Yeah. But I don't understand how the original conceit is a joke. <laughs> like, talking about the distinction between the words Solomon and salmon and not, like, multiple people just discussing. I don't think it's pronounced Solomon. I think it's salmon. Yeah. Like, I, think it's sal- I think it's salmon, Rushdie. I think it's Solomon. <laughs> or, or, like, how they keep on referring to blood as hydraulic fluid. Like, it just is... It's... It's not a joke in and of itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it beyond that. Yeah, it's it's they're just having fun with words. You do get the feeling like you kind of like I've been watching, I've been listening to the Orb podcast, mm-hmm. and um, which is you know the Duck Feed guys do uh, are t- are talking about the Venture Brothers and its construction, and a lot of the construction for the jokes was just the two creators, Jackson Public and Doc Hammer, just writing for each other, yeah, making yeah. the other one trying to make the other one laugh. And I got a lot of feelings of that from this. Yeah, you feel the in jokes that have built up, and you just try and sneak one in, but then ten years later, a couple of guys are watching, and I'm like, what do they mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why. Why do they keep on talking about a ringtone? Mm-hmm. Since it, because you know Archer is the more well known comparison to this, you know, aside from the better focus on character dynamics and the more grounded nature, what would you say are some of the like biggest differences between this show and that? Things that got better or things that got worse? Like, I think the Archer, like, the way that they look, both in terms of like they look like actual people and not these horrible monsters is is a big uh, selling point there it like brings you more into that world um, yeah i i would say so they just to talk about kind of the way these things look is they look like the cardboard cutout animation thing that we saw in c lab where if somebody gets kicked by kill face kind of their whole model just like it, it yeah it, it doesn't have physics internal physics it just kind of like gets kicked away in total or anything like that i want to say that it looks better than most adult swim shows but that does not actually say much does that include squidbillies and perfect hair forever you know it does <laughs> so yeah uh, I, uh, I the think, bar is low i think the character models are are interesting and unique so like you know we said kill face but also there's that guy that turns into a giant crab slowly over the course of like six oh, episodes <laughs> yeah the dread lobster i like to call it lost wages again with like the mundane joke in the middle of the weird context Uh like there's this crab man he's mutating this billionaire tycoon they're both driving to las vegas for some sort of scheme and wally just says las vegas i like to call it lost wages and he says it a million times (laughs) and xander cruz loves it every single time he's like nice (laughs) like it's the best joke he's ever heard and and stuff like that with the crab monster and the worm, uh, the ant baby, they really lean into the abominations and atrocities in a way that I don't think Archer would. No, they at at most Archer has cyborgs, but they yeah. they keep things pretty grounded. Um, and you know, the also like the 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 show construction, the pacing of it is also more grounded because each episode is pretty self contained in mm-hmm. Archer. You know, it's got an impetus, it's got, like, a, a build-up, it's got a climax in which Archer does some spy stuff, and then it's got a, a lead-out, which is sometimes more resolved than others. But it's not this, like, follow these breadcrumbs from, like, what happened last episode? Oh, well, the news reporter got dumped into a vat of toxic ants, uh, yeah. and so that's where we're starting this episode. It's just, it's a lot less, um, you know, it, it's it's... The, the structure is also very It's different. the sort of thing that in a show where the plot mattered, that would be a very important point. And here it's like, if you miss that episode, it's like, okay, I, I can accept that this reporter who is glowing and covered in ants has some sort of ant 
radioactive waste incident in her past. Like, I, th- right. that information is communicated well enough. Yeah, and it's part of the thing that I didn't like about this show is just that I it was hard to keep track of because there were so many hanging plots. You kind of have to watch it all a season in a sitting almost. Yeah, uh, you and it goes down pretty smooth. It's like, you know, 12 episodes each, 11 minutes long. It, it, it goes down easily. But yeah, like... But like Archer, you can watch an episode at a time and not get confused. It's very easy. Like if you watch the first few episodes of this show and you see, oh, there's this guy who made postcards for, for Killface. <laughs> and we he is this. About- that postcard joke is very good. Blatantly unacceptable Asian stereotype. Like worse. Oh, it's terrible. Worse than South Park does it because even they don't use buck teeth. Um, yes, but then and, and later it's revealed that he is doing that stereotype to in order to get a like diversity loan. Yes. that doesn't excuse it. So that almost shows feels up, like an apology from the creator. Yeah, well, you know, if you didn't see that episode where that was revealed, and you see him later when he's in the middle of the underground, you know, fighting ring. You know the one run by Tornado Vegas, yeah, or that's Tuxedo a, we'll, Vegas, we'll get whichever one it was. We'll get to that later. <laughs> um, I like to call it Tuxedo Wages, <laughs> Tuxedo Mask. <laughs> but like that—that's a thing that you wouldn't know to keep track of because there's so many little things like that. Um, I do think that was an interesting scene where like Xander's like, "Are you wearing a disguise?" And he's like, "Yeah, you know, I'm a white guy, but I wanted this minority-based business loan." And they tell him, like, that's wrong. Those loans are supposed to go to non-threatening, educated women of color. And it, <laughs> I'm like, does do the show's creators know the point they're trying to make? Because I can't keep track of it. There's a lot of moving parts to <laughs> a joke like that. It's like, are are you guys on the good side? I, I, can't, I can't tell. <laughs> it, it's sort of like a South Park mold where, like, they're making all of the points, but the message is really muddled because they're making them all at once, and some of them contradict each other. It's not message first. It's it's joke first. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. They recognize they're, they're that the confusion the will lead to a better punchline. They're bringing the messages to inform their writing, but mm-hmm. it's... Uh, it, it definitely takes a backseat to whatever the writing is yeah. trying to do. But because, and, and this is how it loops back in, because everything is joke first, trying to navigate the plot of this with any degree of remove is is not possible. You can follow it only because it's smothered in jokes. That's And that's, you know, that's actually what I got coming back to this show is uh, as I was kind of navigating through the plot, I realized that I was just waiting for the next good joke. The next, yeah, or like good, uh, you know, vocal spark. It's not even like those not even jokes. Mm-hmm. Like where, um, you know, uh, Stan says, you know, oh, well, you know, at least your parents are dead. They don't have to see you being a failure. And he's like, Stan, <gasps> Stan. <laughs> <laughs> or like when Xander Cruz's long lost daughter shows up and says like, no, well, my mom is dead. She died of cancer on a Thursday. He's like, ooh, so close to the ooh, weekend. So close <laughs> to the weekend. <laughs> um, like the the, the quotability yeah. of this show. For a just sh- watching some of the characters talk to each other a lot of the time, like the the scene in the uh, during the duck hunt with where they're talking about the movie The Edge. Yeah, yeah. Is like that that scene in and of itself is just like. There's not really any jokes happening there. It's just two very fun personalities bouncing off yeah. of each other with a lot of fun writing behind it. Or when they're going to be, th- like when uh, uh, Xander and Killface are going to throw something to each other, like he's throwing him the key to the Annihilatrix and he's throwing him, you know, the $20 billion check that, that he was owed. <laughs> and he's like, okay, we're going to throw it on the count of three. Three. And Killface throws the check and it blows away in the wind. And Xander doesn't throw the key at all, and they're both really pissed at each other. Like, what? Why'd you do that? Well, if I, I figured if I didn't throw it, then I would have both. 
<laughs> like it's <laughs> saying like, that. Just saying it out loud. Just, <laughs> like, well, yeah, okay. It's like that time in the tick where it's like, well, if we have a lot of money, we don't have to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is pretty good. I don't know. The the but, but the way they make jokes in this isn't like in any other show or most others. It's it's very hard to describe the humor inherent in having multiple characters talking about a volleyball team. Like like a volleyball team being mentioned on the news, mm-hmm. and somebody will say something in relation to not the volleyball team, but whatever they're talking about, and the second person being like, "Oh, they just want to win, <laughs> ladybugs." Yeah, or like, like it's very hard to describe the inherent humor there. Or like an entire episode where uh, you know they're having the debate at uh, the Hagger Pants Auditorium or something, <laughs> and every person talks about wow those pants are really big <laughs> you're talking like, about these hagger slacks caressing me like a lover or like uh when several characters all in unrelated scenes constantly interrupt each other with bup, bup. <laughs> bup, bup. I, I there is like a lot of quotable catchphrases in this show that i used to like more but still enjoy to some degree like the baboo the boosh Boosh. and or cacao um, or stay gold pony boy just just breaking them out yeah there's a lot of lines where it doesn't matter who's saying them we wanted to get the the phrasing or the jokes or the repeatability of it in we'll find a place and and what's great about the experimentalism of this show is that the jokes are kind of not tested by committee like mm-hmm. imagine the following sentence trying to make it into a more modern uh, a more modern comedy and with this i will eliminate the wherein kelly the villain kill face? The villain kill face. Why did I say where in Kelly? Like, I, I don't even know where the joke is in that. It's just someone got excited and spoke too fast. But uh, between those moments of pristine dialogue and, like, really clever com- comedic timing, kind of a lot of nothing is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's or the a, same C-Lab if problem. If not nothing, it's just, like, a lot of nonsense. Yeah, it's the, it's the C-Lab problem. They They weren't fully out of that phase. Maybe, maybe. They knew they could get away like, with it because it's on Adult Swim and you can do put anything there. <laughs> yeah, and I have a lot of fondness for a show that is that experimental and doesn't worry about how all the jokes are going to land. Um, definitely we have aged out of a few things that I find problems with. But yeah. like overall, I, I was happy to go back to this show for that reason. Um, it, you know, if you're overlooking the, you know, modern sensibility problems with this show, if you overlook that, do you prefer this show to Archer? Uh, you know what really i i it is a cop-out but like in places in pieces like i don't i don't know if there's any episode of of uh frisky dingo where i would prefer watching the entirety of it to watching the entire honeypot episode sure um but there's definitely moments in the dialogue that kill me in a way that archer doesn't like yeah where um where Xander Cruz is saying, get me, when he realizes that Fred Dreyer played TV's Hunter, and he's like, get me, get me a, get me a, get me a recording of Hunter. Uh, what format? Format doesn't matter. Unless I don't have it, in which case, okay, just get me two copies of Hunter and two copies of everything that's ever played format, and then format won't matter. Like that, that <laughs> deliberate pause kills me more than almost anything in art does. Just where he's like, it through. you're just watching the hamster run. And yeah, just I, like for some reason, like the the delivery on that is very. It's much more niche appeal 
than anything that Archer does. When you uh, when you watch documentaries of like Chuck Jones drawing Looney Tunes, and he's like, yeah, you know, we were I was timing out the joke of the coyote falling to his death and the and the cl- mushroom cloud appears and at 14 oh, frames yeah. it doesn't hit and at 16 frames it doesn't hit but at 15 mm, it's so good it feels He's like totally that for right. the pauses <laughs> yes absolutely like that is that that was dialed in yep um, you know I, I i think i agree with you that the the chunks are really good so you know we, we had thought about watching this a good while ago and i watched it the first time for the plot and like to understand what's going on and really watching it uh, today I rewatched a f- bunch of, you know, chunks of it, you know, this episode, oh, I'm going to check out this episode and I'm kind of half watching it cause I'm doing other stuff at the same time. Much better. <laughs> every, yeah, you're just every joke all the... was hitting cause I didn't have to pay attention when it wasn't. Cause you remember where the good jokes are and you're just waiting for those. Mm-hmm. And when you're not watching one of the good ones, you're just waiting for it yeah. and that's fine. Um, yeah, it's, it's not a dead end in terms of like, we just needed to get through this to get to something better. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of, you know, sometimes we'll deal with that, right? Where, like, C-Lab, I would say, is almost entirely obsolete at this point. Sure. Like, I think everything that was done in C-Lab is now being done better here and then later in Archer. Um, but I but I, I would say that there is a lot of unique value in this show that doesn't show up in Archer. Yeah, it it's not an evolutionary dead end. It's one of those amphibians where, like, you know, there's a niche somewhere in this uncharted territory where they've managed to carve out the the beach. Like that's where this lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a very dread lobster approach to uh, to cartoondom. Yeah, this to, it's an evolutionary dread lobster. This is the dread lobster to archers. I'm gonna say trilobite. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, Looney Tunes is the trilobite. Archer can be like the... Uh, what, what was that uh, frog that went into Australia and ruined all the crops? Um, Yeah, from The Simpsons. Okay, yeah. So this, so Archer is like The it's Simpsons. The Simpsons frog. Yeah. Yeah. I think that only happened in, uh, in, in media and not in real life. Right? I think it happened in real life. Yeah, I know. I know that kudzu was a big invasive species problem there. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know about the frog one. Show notes. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was trying to find you know generally when I'm looking through a show I try to find at least a couple of things to say about either animation or, or music and sound I didn't find anything else beyond just the dialogue in the music and sound and I only the on, only thing about animation is the cardboard cutout because there actually isn't much more to it um, this is so so heavily relies on the strength of its dialogue that it actually doesn't have much else in the way of like creative expression which is sort of fascinating, sort of fascinating on its own. Like a show that doesn't really do music other than like vague stinger noises, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't really do animation other than the cardboard cutout kind of physiology. Yeah, I, I think that the character models though are, are very. Uh, are Simon very val- is so funny. Very valuable. <laughs> Simon. The, the juxtaposition of of Killface and Simon, because Simon is just like a smaller like version of Killface's model but he's got like he's he's like a he's Prep like school. a richie rich type yeah, yeah you know he's got like a and he's got like a sweater vest and blonde hair and he's but it's he's like this weird white entirely white flesh golem underneath i really love that painting mm-hmm. in their house yeah where they're the napoleon <laughs> yes <laughs> where, where they're both in like dueling uh poses um i like sin the the sort of uh cyborg assistant mm-hmm. uh i like the progression of val uh who like was an assistant to Killface slash 
you know, menaced by him and then slowly is like, okay, if I get a gun, I can murder him. And that's, you know, that's kind of all I want. And we see her develop on that. And, and her character model honesty, progresses more than pretty much anyone else's. In all honesty, she didn't do much for me. Uh, I, I liked her. I liked the idea that somebody had motivation for all the mayhem. Yeah, it just like recollect, like going back through it, like the places that stand out are the biggest dialogue hits. And those are usually by Killface or, or Xander Cruz. Yeah. So like, all the rest of the characters honestly kind of fall by the wayside with the possible exception of Wendell, just because I find his delivery very good. Yeah, he's like an extra chaotic step forward. But yeah, th- those two are really like the somebody of the like show. manic and and ridiculous enough to creep out. Killface is very funny. <laughs> yeah, like Killface legitimately does not know how to deal with him. <laughs> uh, you ever take a shit so bad that you throw up on your dick? <laughs> <laughs> Line of dialogue right from him. Yeah. Zane, how did you like this show? Uh, quite a bit, actually. Yeah. It's not flawless. Is it like it's not the, the... the context of having us, having me and David really, you know, idolize it as uh, being much younger? Does that like make sense in context or is it like yeah. a little bit hard to relate to? What do you no, think? No, absolutely. Um, you know, coming to this uh, as younger people, it's a lot easier to see where the appeal is. Even now, though, you know, approaching it in my current age, it's it's a good it's a good show. It's not the kind of show that I could watch with other people, um, it, as is true of a lot of Adult Swim things. Like if you watch it with somebody who already likes it, then you're golden. Like if I got a buddy who loves Aqua Teen Hunger Force, I can watch a few episodes with him and we'll enjoy it. Yeah, it's almost the kind of feeling that I get watching Venture Bros, which is like, if even if I'm not watching with anyone, I know that I'm sharing the sense of humor with the creators, because like, it comes through so clearly. Like you said, it feels like those jokes were written for one specific person, and I'm close enough to that person where it feels special to me. You know, there's something about that, like, this is something I, I, I constantly think about when I'm imbibing media, is that... Sometimes, because we, you know, have a habit of personalizing everything that we come to, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of media feels like it's for me, if I happen to like it a lot. Yeah. But some stuff is broad enough appeal where, like, I I feel like it's for me, but I don't actually believe it. Like, uh, One Punch Man, for example. Right. I feel like that's for me, but I don't necessarily believe that I'm... It's not uniquely for me. But something like... Something like uh, Frisky Dingo feels much closer to uniquely for me. Like, they're talking to me. They're trying to hit me on my level as opposed to just creating a show that I happen to enjoy. Does that distinction make any sense to you? Yeah, I, th- I think so. And it's I like think... a more personal enjoyment of it. Yeah, when it hits you right where you're at when you see it. Well, not merely that it hits me where I'm at, but also that it, it, it feels like it was like they were trying to write for me personally. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of examples of that in my own uh, media. Like Somewhere Only We Go from, uh, not Devo. Who am I thinking of? Tears for Fears? No. Help me out. Tenacious D? No, 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 no. It's like an 80s weepy band. Somewhere where we go. Somewhere only we know. Yeah, I don't know that. Really? Really? I got Okay, I'm looking it up. Because that song definitely feels like it's for me in, in the same way. It's by Keen. It's Keen. It's Keen. I love Keen. I think, um, like Kid Rad, for example, feels like it was God, made for me. Yes. God, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or and like that's Homestar why Runner when, share- when we were kids. It was like, oh, okay, somebody figured out the in-jokes in my own brain before I made oh, them. 
Dude, that's a, that's a great example, and let me tell you why. When you are going to recommend media to somebody, you need to know a lot more about them to recommend them Kid Rad mm-hmm. as opposed to something like Questionable Content or 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 Dumbing of Age. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's a much more niche appeal, so you need to, it's harder to share it with a random given person without knowing that they're gonna they're gonna pick up on it and that's true for this compared to archer in the same way yeah exactly like and and that's why i remember you were telling me back in kid rad days like any person you'd share it to jumped onto it pretty hard because you'd already scouted it out it was already like that's confirmation bias but it's because you only recommended it to people who you thought would be receptive and the niche is so small that you were usually right. <laughs> exactly. Like, like you can recommend Brick and Morty or Archer to kind of anyone. Yeah. You cannot I, recommend this to anyone. No, I would have to plan that out. Yes. That's a whole... <laughs> that's like almost a... Um, that's almost an intervention. I would have to like say Killface's line about the barbecue thing verbatim and see if that <laughs> got a laugh before I... <laughs> barbecue line is so good. <laughs> What are we going to put as the intro sting for this? Because they didn't have a theme song. Oh, man. Also, another fun legacy joke. The initial episode is a, is an, is a screen tear away from the, init- from the, uh, the C-Lab From intro. C-Lab, yeah. Yeah, kind of like the Courage the Cowardly Dog. We interrupt this program and to bring you Killface. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is a good legacy joke because they I'll, also made that. I'll just play the C-Lab theme over the Archer theme and hope they average out. <laughs> okay I'll, I'll, I'll leave you to decide the minutiae of that <laughs> anything else no no i um i appreciate going back to this i think that i had this on a pretty high pedestal because it was so influential to me i'm happy to see that it holds up in many ways but i don't think that it is maybe as uh as worthy of idolatry as i initially thought it was but yeah. it is still very worthwhile and i'm, I'm still happy that it exists there is media that i am willing to bring with me into the present state and then there is media that i am fine leaving where i found it and this is of the latter but i'm gonna leave it on top of that pile yeah i i it's still eminently quotable and i have like there are a number of times where i will be like man i wish i had a thought balloon over that guy's head (laughs) just like random things that are said in the show that are just so evocative and perfect in their own context that i can't help but remember them in perfect particular like absurdist capacities mm-hmm. in my day-to-day for sure cool yeah well thank you for having us uh watch this uh again it's a it's an important part of uh my understanding of humor as i have progressed throughout the ages um i i hope you all enjoyed it yeah it was good to look into well what, mm-hmm. are, uh, what are we looking into next time well zane um we are blessed hashtag blessed we're gonna have alex on the show super fan of the network um has written into the cartoni awards previously and he has suggested to watch uh code lyoko yeah which is a canadian anime that uh uh, french straight up french not even half french that that is well it's the same place don't you know don't you know yeah uh i've taken a look at a few episodes of this and it is interesting it's it's got oh boy I don't know how I feel about it yet. There is a lot here that I definitely would have loved growing up, and I don't know how I feel about it yet. Yeah, the, the, the smell of that show might as well put your nose in dot hack. It's, Who's been dotting this hack? It's like um, it's like when you watch a show. That's Uncle Tron. And then you watch it later, like, like with Sailor Moon, where like, oh, I remember watching episodes of this as a kid, and when I'm watching it now, I like temporarily regress back to where I was then. <laughs> Um, 
I feel like that would have been helpful for Code Lyoko to help it smooth smooth it down. I definitely have. I definitely have. Um, I definitely have one of those. I I, I have memories like re- those really vague memories of a half watched episode of Code Lyoko that's in my memory that I don't have any context for, and that's the only thing that I'm bringing to it. So it'll be interesting to flesh that out with some actual content. Yeah, there's... give it some. Uh, yeah, just just in what I've seen of it, there's aspects of it that I really like, and then there's aspects of it where I'm like, how could they have let this get into production at this <laughs> point without fixing this? <laughs> Well, he recommended to watch at least a few episodes from the second season in order to find a new character that I should apparently have a lot to say about. Ooh, his words, so that's fun. Uh, there's also we'll a, have um, to do our due diligence at the end of the third season. There's a prequel which gives all the context that you should have received before the first episode uh, that I would recommend checking out as well. Meh. Okay. <laughs> uh, Zane, what are we doing after that? Uh, after that, we have a request from uh, our recurring contributor, Josh. Uh, and he will be joining us to watch a PBS show known as Word Girl. Word World Girl. Word Girl. Um, mm-hmm. I checked out five minutes of this just a little bit ago. I'm in. Okay, should be good. Uh, that's a, that's a strong that's a strong sell. Uh, I cannot wait. Sounds like those are going to be both fun. Uh, if you guys have any uh, comments that you want to give for either Code Lyoko or World Girl. Um, go ahead to our Facebook page. You can go to cartoncast.com or fancybat.com slash cartoncast. You can check out our contact page there and leave a comment or uh, what? What are you laughing about? <laughs> I'm thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking, I was already thinking of like, what are we going to say that's related to Frisky Dingo after you say this? <laughs> and then I just started thinking of kill faces like, God was too busy. <laughs> just <laughs> crack it up again. Uh, and if you'd like to leave a comment, go to a con. Go to fancybat.com slash cartoncast slash contact to leave a uh, comment or to suggest a show. You can go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever to, in order to give us a rating or review. We really appreciate it and really helps us out. And more than anything else, please tell your friends about the show. Zane, I've got a bit of admin before we close up, uh, which is that I'm going to be starting a different podcast mm. with uh, our co-friend, Pod Boy. <laughs> Gary Lane. Friend pod boy. <laughs> He's our pod boy, uh, Gary, from Saturday Morning Rewind. He's come on the show previously, and uh, we will be, I will be starting a podcast with him, which is an episodic uh, look into one of my favorite shows growing up, Justice League. I am intensely jealous uh, and currently busy with my life, so I can't join in on that, but you can expect to hear me uh, on some guest episodes of that, particularly oh, any man. focused on The Flash, Green Lantern, or Booster Gold. Well, I, I'm definitely going to, if Booster Gold ever comes up, I will definitely have you on the show, but like, uh, I don't know if you have any opinions on Snapper Car, but I have a lot to say. I, you know, we did, we do a episode, like a character highlight every episode, and he was a prominent enough figure that I gave him the spotlight in, I think, the third episode that we recorded. It's going to come out in January. You can listen to it then. Snapper Carr, I believe, um, was he part of the Dominion plotline in the comic books where he was abducted and then they hit a bomb on him and he was like, I have teleportation powers now when I snap? I think so. Uh, in the context of Justice League, he is a reporter who is voiced by Jason Marsden. Sure. Jeez, God, <laughs> Jason Marsden keeps showing up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Richie from Static Shock, baby. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that has been a lot of fun to shoot, and it's uh, pretty low-key, and I love the show that we're talking about, so uh, when it comes out, I'll, I'll mention this again. Okay, But cool. just generating hype. Hype. Don't you know? Hype, hype. Very cool. Bop, bop.
Pop up. Yeah. Um, until next time, boosh. And orca cow. <laughs> <laughs>